Welcome to the J. Kim Show, Hong Kong's first dedicated podcast on investing in Asia. It's no secret that Asia is home to some of the most dynamic, innovative, and game-changing companies in the world. Join us as we survey the land to find the most profitable investment opportunities that will allow you to capitalize off this next wave of wealth creation. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced with the goal of providing actionable insights with every single episode. And now, on to the show. Brendan, thanks for, so much for joining us. Who better to have on than the leading provider of China-focused ETFs, uh, CraneShare? So uh, thank you for joining us. Maybe you could give a quick introduction to the audience, uh, tuning in who you are, what you do for a living, and what CraneShares is. Okay. No, very much appreciate this opportunity, Jay. Uh, CraneShares is a China-focused provider of exchange-traded funds. Um, I had spent 13 years with the largest provider of exchange-traded funds globally. So, so really, my uh, vast majority of my career has been spent in the indexing and passive space, particularly around uh, ETFs. And uh, about four and a half years ago, I met uh, John Crane and joined John as he uh, started building Crane Shares, uh, really based on his vision, having lived in China, which was uh, one that China was opening up its um, capital markets, the onshore markets, to foreign investors, and secondarily, that new China sectors were really underweight uh, in traditional indices, and so. Um, I brought my skill set from the ETF world and applied that to John's vision in producing uh, our family, or really our suite of exchange-traded funds. That's fantastic. So uh, as a brief background, I, I myself uh, started doing ETFs uh, kind of 2001 to 2003. I was working at Lehman Brothers at the time, and okay, okay. I believe uh, early, I, I guess ETFs weren't, a, they kind of just started picking up the growth uh, early 2000s. I think they started uh, in early 90s, uh, but it was right around the time when a lot of institutional clients were starting to get, oh, oh this is interesting, you know, there's another mm-hmm. source of liquidity and this sort of thing. So um, interestingly, uh, that you've been in the, that sort of uh, segment for a long time. Now, uh, I really like the fact that uh, you guys are trying to focus, obviously, and um, I think that there is a need and a, a thirst for sort of ways to play China. Um, and so why don't you just, uh, maybe you could explain how Crane Shares differs from maybe, say, uh, like an FXI or, or some of the other more popular uh, ETFs out there. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, you know, one uh, the historical definition of China has been Chinese companies listed in Hong Kong. So, uh, one, we recognize that you have Shanghai and Shenzhen, the fourth and seventh largest stock exchanges globally by market capitalization, have very limited uh, exposure in, in investors' portfolios because they've really been ring fenced. Uh, from foreign investors, but uh, we saw that that door was opening, and we wanted to kind of, you know, basically uh, skate to where the puck was going, or you know, mm-hmm. uh, basically establish products in advance of their inclusion within broader indices. And so, um, you know, over three years ago, we listed our MSCI China A International ETF uh, KBA, which utilizes our QFI. Um, and now uh, we're starting to access the onshore market via the Connect Trading. But 
um, the MSCI China A International is the exact definition of Shanghai Shenzhen that will be going into broader MSCI indices. And uh, to me, MSCI is the most important uh, financial firm globally. Uh, their global investable market indices methodology, it's just over 170 pages long, but it <laughs> dictates how over 10 trillion of both active and passive assets are invested. And very few investors have really read that methodology. But the reality is, say, just using MSCI Emerging Markets, which has two trillion benchmarks against it, MSCI China A International represent another 17% of that index being dedicated to China from 28%. So if we know 17% of 2 trillion, we're talking about not <laughs> billions or tens of billions, but literally hundreds of billions of dollars that um, in the case of the index funds and ETFs are going to have to buy the securities that we hold today within our our ETF KBA. So, so a lot of it is kind of applying um, our kind of my background in index methodologies and understanding how important those are in creating our you know our ETFs, including KBA. Now, did the MSCI give any sort of uh, timeline guidance on when they plan to implement that uh, increase in per, in weighting? So we don't know the exact roadmap. Uh, Jay, we know that um, it'll begin um, on May 31st of, of 2018. It starts small, just under 1%. Uh, we don't know if they'll add quarterly or semi-annually, but for investors, it's important to recognize these country inclusions are very, very rare. Mm -hmm. um, in 2013, MSCI added Qatar and United Arab Emirates. Uh, last year, they announced the inclusion of Pakistan. And in the one year proceeding from the announcement to the actual inclusion, those markets tend to have historically performed quite well. So we think it's a very additive strategy to get in front of. What's different about this inclusion is, yes, it starts small. And many have been very dismissive, saying, well, it's less than 1%. But um, in the case of UAE and Qatar, they went up 40 and 80%. In the case of Pakistan, it went up almost uh, just over 40%. So this is, those are rounding error compares to what's going to be happening with the onshore Chinese equity market. It's going to go, yes, from just under 1% up to 17%. So there's never been an inclusion like this historically. That's incredible. I mean, talk about a tailwind to get in front of for any investor. So, I mean, even if you don't know anything about investing uh, and, you know, this is this seems like sort of uh, a, a very rare and unique once in a lifetime, really, up trade that you can you can actually participate. And now, thanks to Crane Shares, it's very easy to participate in, yes. in this trade. So um, let's uh, so as with that as a backdrop, um, you know, and the uh, the let's talk a little bit about what's going on in China and what why it's so exciting. And this is probably why. Uh, your founder uh, being on the ground there and spending many, many, having spent many years there decided that it was su such a compelling uh, you know shift that's happening right now that he wanted to uh, create the ETF. So uh, I think there's a lot of common misperceptions uh, with China, especially with Western investors. Um, you know, there's a cognitive bias called home country bias that a lot of 
and that's not just for, you know, I'm American. I've been over here for a while. And that's just not just <laughs> the American thing. You know, I mean, people in Hong Kong, they only like to trade Hong Kong shares, you know. Right, it right, happens right. globally. Uh, but what are some of the uh, sort of biases that, that misunderstandings maybe that you've encountered from investors uh, with specifically with regards to China that maybe has has uh, has shied them away from investing? Yeah, I mean, I, I believe our single greatest value add besides creating uh, unique ETFs has been our balanced perspective on China's uh, economy and capital markets and um, you know, yes, the media, you know, tends to highlight, you know, some of the liabilities. Um, our view is, well, if you're going to talk about the liabilities, uh, that means it's a balance sheet. And if it's a balance sheet, then what are the assets? So, you know, yes, say debt to GDP gets a lot of attention. Uh, but does anyone talk about, say, bank deposits to GDP? That what if the bank assets and bank deposits in China are almost exactly the same as the debt to GDP? It's not, it's not necessarily a problem. So I, I think, you know, we continuously put out research to provide that balanced perspective. I, I think what people miss is that, you know, when John lived in China, he saw how people were migrating to these kind of new China sectors, if it's healthcare, internet, e-commerce, technology, clean energy, uh, that people were migrating away from many traditional economic sectors. And I look at, uh, it's funny, Jay, you know, um, when you look at, say, the um, manufacturing PMI, you have 33 economists globally given an estimate on what they think China's manufacturing PMI will be. The non-manufacturing PMI, there's zero economists given an estimate. Not one. I'm like, uh, I've actually tried to submit an estimate <laughs> just to show that the whole world thinks, um, or many parts of the world think that China is this purely a manufacturing, export-driven, dependent country. And yet today, 50% of China's economy is driven by the service sector. And uh, yes, we get retail sales numbers from the National Bureau of Statistics, which have been between 10 and 11% on a monthly basis. But we really think a lot about the companies that, that are really the transmission engine for domestic consumption in China, that you have this leapfrogging over the big box retailer stage, and it's happening online. And, and what you can do on WeChat, you know, product of, uh, of Tencent with a mere 900 million users on a monthly basis, um, what you can do on WeChat, you can't do on Facebook uh, here in the United States. And, and China, in many ways, is far ahead of the adoption of internet and e-commerce uh, than in Europe, Japan, or or the United States. We love love that domestic consumption story as mm -hmm. uh, really under under owned and under un, under you know misunderstood by by many foreign investors. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Brendan. You you bring a, up a good point. You know, I mean, the obviously anyone that follows China or Asia um, knows about this rising middle class theme and. Um, you know, I was talking to uh, someone yesterday who had written a book on e-commerce in China, and he mm -hmm. was saying that essentially within sort of, I think, 2025 was sort of like the the the, um, the uh, back uh, the backstop on the timeline between when the Chinese consumption as a per, uh, percentage of GDP was basically going to go from sort of the mid 20 20s percent to double that. Um, and that's all because of, like, like you said, this rising middle class uh, online 
consumers that are, are just, and, and, there's, and the age demographic is quite uh, specific as well, sort of 20s, yes. 30s, um, yep. that are just so, going to have so much purchasing power. And so that's very interesting and exciting in addition to, you know, obviously the tech that has to be associated with that, the infrastructure that has to be associated with that. So um, one of the cool things that you guys do, I mean, you have, uh, I think, at least one or two funds that are quite tech-focused. Um, yep. And there are a number of Chinese companies that are listed outside of China on NASDAQ, uh, for example, mm-hmm. um, that are not included in any other ETFs out there. So it's yep. hard to get exposure on a broad base. But you guys have figured out how to include that into your uh, ETF. So why don't you talk a little bit on that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, every day, Jay, we read about the growth of exchange traded funds. And yet I go back to this. Do people really understand these index methodologies? And um, in the case of, say, the largest emerging market ETF globally, it's based on FTSE Russell uh, indices. If FTSE Russell indices currently, if you're listed outside of the country, you're not part. So um, it's not just that Alibaba or you know listed here in the United States isn't part of FTSE Russell indices or C-Trip or JD or NetEase or uh, Cena and etc. Um, it's also you know a company like Prada. You know Prada mm-hmm. uh, is listed in Hong Kong. It's right. not considered an Italian company according to FTSE Russell. And so you know you literally have the largest EM emerging market ETF globally doesn't hold the names that. Uh, over four years ago, we created uh, the Crane Shares CSI China Internet ETF, and uh, we, we listed that fund over four years ago because we knew what was taking place in terms of the rise of domestic consumption taking place online. Um, and just recently, FTSE Russell announced that uh, they're going to start adding, it'll take place over the next two years, but they're going to start adding US listed Chinese companies to their indices. And so uh, again, it's kind of getting in front of these flows, um, you know, by owning what others are going to have to buy. We think it's an additive strategy as, as we exit earnings season for our portfolio. You just cannot find companies like Tencent and Alibaba, Tal Education, you know, JD. You cannot find these rates of growth globally, in our opinion. Uh, you know, highly biased and self-serving, uh, but you know, I'm, uh, I, I definitely uh, believe that this is the fastest growing part of capital markets globally, and we think it, it, it really warrants a standalone position because uh, you really can't find companies this big growing as quickly. Yeah, I mean, Tencent's one of those companies that, you know, I'm sure you've followed it just as long as I have. Uh, for a decade, and it's literally <laughs> every time I'm like, okay, this this might be a good time to get in, and you miss it, and you just keep watching it going away. Um, but you know, I mean, conceptually, and you know, in theory, if you think about like what you were saying, you know, the mobile technology that has surpassed the West. You know, I mean, people don't even carry wallets anymore in China. It's all yeah, it's all on the yeah. phone. And so, intuitively, if you if you put the numbers together, some of the numbers that you were talking about. Um, you know, and the fund flow, uh, you know, I mean, there's only literally there's only one direction that, you know, those companies are going to go. So that's really exciting. Um, and now we have a way to play it. So how many different uh, China focused ETFs do you guys have now? 
So we have five, five, uh, five ETFs in total. We have, um, I talked about our uh, China internet, KWeb is the ticker, and then KBA is our MSCI China A. We do have a new China, it's a smart beta. It's uh, actually the oh, only okay. ETF globally that holds stocks on uh, Shanghai, Hong Kong, New York, and NASDAQ. Um, it's, it's, um, it's a neat little fund. Uh, we have a bond fund. Uh, China's bond market, the interbank bond market, is the third largest bond market globally. It's not part of the uh, now. Now it's the Barclay, uh, Bloomberg Barclays Global Ag, but stole Lehman Global Aggregate. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we're we're dating ourselves here, Jay. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but the old Lehman Global Aggregate doesn't include the third largest bond market globally, and it's not the JPEM debt. Uh, city sovereign as well. So, so you know, we'll be we'll be back talking about the inclusion of the third largest bond market into uh, global indices, and then we have a uh, we call it EM plus, and it's basically an uh, EM that already includes the Chinese A shares that we hold in KBA. So, but we're we're continuously working on new products. We'll be listing products in the months to come. That's really exciting, and. Um so just one thing about uh, ETFs, and I know this uh, from sort of a, on the institutional side, when we look at ETFs, one of the, one of the things that we look for and consider always is uh, the liquidity of, you know, there's tons of ETFs that come online and, uh, you know, there's a, there's a distribution. So sort of like mm -hmm. the top five have the most liquidity that it kind of drops off. How uh, have you found uh, Crane Shares? Um, Liquidity has that been an issue? You know, what what are they trading like uh, each day? Yeah, I, I think um, you know, on screen volume is 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 important. Um, I think you know, for institutional investors, in many cases, they're really beholden to the largest ETFs um, simply because they maybe they're not allowed to be more than twenty percent of of the assets. I mean, actually the Volcker rule actually requires some financial institutions. Yep. They can't hold um, many hedge funds. They want to trade anonymously. And so they have to trade, you know, they can only buy and sell in these liquidity, high, high volume. Um, but, but for most investors, you know, you don't have, to, you can broaden your horizons beyond, you know, the 10 or 20 largest ETFs. And, you actually, as an individual, have a real advantage to be able to buy and sell something that many of these institutional investors, because they have these uh, self-imposed or regulatory constraints, can't buy. Um, what is important for any ETF is that the underlying basket of securities is liquid. So in creating our products, we've kind of built in liquidity screens. Uh, you know, most of the major index providers uh, knowing that ETFs make those indices investable and create create some sort of liquidity screen, and then we as a provider add it on our own screen as well. So um, I actually really believe that as much as ETFs have, have grown enormously, uh, you know, as part of a business that went from in 2001 had you know basically no assets to 13 years later had over 800 billion, and today has over a trillion in assets that very few people do ETF due diligence. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I believe, uh, why, why I believe we're still in the early days of ETFs.
you yeah. have great, great funds that maybe don't have high levels of assets. Very exciting. Um, well, Brendan, thanks so much for sharing that. You know, I think we gave a really good sort of backdrop to the audience on not only what sort of the, the trends are, uh, exciting trends that are happening in China, but also uh, a little bit on the sort of just the ETF and fund flow perspective. And I mean, if you put those two together, you just do the math. It's just a massive, massive tailwind. Um, and it's still early, like you said. You know, I mean, there's, this is a very, very good opportunity to uh, get on the trade. And, um, and, and also, Crane Shares is the perfect way for an investor to, uh, to get in. So um, in addition to, you know, you, I know you guys put out a lot of good research on your website for free, which is gr yep. a great resource. I encourage all the audience members to, uh, to follow that blog. Um, where, uh, where else can investors, uh, find a little bit more about you, uh, as an individual or maybe, uh, some of the new offerings that Korean shares are, is coming uh, up with. Yeah, to your, just to your point, and that means a lot to me, Jay, that coming from you, that is so complimentary, but yeah, right on craneshares.com, you can sign up for free for this balanced perspective on. Uh, what we see taking place and provide timely, uh, timely updates uh, about every two weeks. Awesome. Well, uh, we're looking forward to uh, seeing what new products you guys come online with, and uh, we'll be, we'll certainly be uh, catching up with you from time to time to discuss this uh, this massive shift that's happening in China. So we appreciate your time, Brendan, and uh, we'll we'll talk soon. All right. Thank, thank you very much, Jay. All right. Take care. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next exciting episode of The J. Kim Show. As always, I'd love to hear your questions, comments, or future guest suggestions. You can find me on Twitter at jkimmer. That's J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you in the next episode.